Welcome to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 78. Finally, it is the Ten of Pentacles. The Tarotar journey in this iteration is complete. Welcome, Kirilli, Cosmic Space Princess. Hey there, it's Priestess. Of course. How's it going, Kirilli? Um, I guess I'll amazing. kind of give a brief kind of synopsis of uh how i stumbled upon you um mm -hmm. but basically i know you're an australian uh not living in australia mm -hmm. expat all the way i think you're in thailand these days um mm -hmm. i don't know if it was four or five years ago but when i started kind of waking up probably more than that maybe like six at this point but when i started waking up um i was doing like a lot of lsd and just combing the Facebook worlds, listening to Alan Watts and Terrence McKenna lectures or Daft Punk or whatever I was doing, um, which is kind of where Team Rabbit Hole started from. Uh, you were one of the astrologers that I turned on to, like you, Kaipacha Lesher, uh, Leo King, a few others, uh, Mike the Peace Dealer, just who's a, a few of those guys have been on um, the podcast. But uh, you have this very unique feminine approach that seemed like deep, deep magic to me. Um, to mm -hmm. the degree that I knew it was real and intuitive, like I sensed it as real, um, but I I have never gotten a reading from you and or anything like that. Unfortunately, I should. Uh, for the record, I will probably at some point. But um, <laughs> the idea here is you struck me as a very unique voice, a very cool kind of uh, fe female voice in the astrology community. It was like you had colored hair that was really cool. Um, you kind of had an attitude that reminded me a lot of I don't know a laid back David Bowie or something like that. <laughs> So, um, in a, in the best sense, you know what I mean? So like a kind of a Ziggy Stardust astrologer vibes. Um, let's kind of start there. I mean, uh, officially Aloha. I don't, I've never really talked to you before. Thanks for coming on. I know that's been kind of, uh, ships in the night, so to speak for a bit, but here we is. So thank you officially for coming on. My question kind of, I guess, to start off this whole shindig is, um, where are you coming from? You're you're an expat. Like, I mean, we'll get there eventually, but like, give us a little context into the formation of who you were in lives prior, um, and we can kind of pick up when you turned on to astrology, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um, it's cutting out a little bit at my end, so I'm, I'm hoping this is the okay place to talk. You are totally okay. Um, Okay, great. Oh, where to start? Um, I started learning astrology as far as I know um, when I was in my early 20s. I can take you back a bit to the story that got it all going, if you like, if you want to hear a story. Definitely, right? most definitely. Yes. Okay, great. Awesome. All right. So um, I do remember, like, I was living in punk households and stuff in my uh, late teens and early 20s, and there was this girl that had been like, hassling me she was pretty like um pretty gnarly when it came to me anyway one day she had this astrology chart this is in the early 90s and she decided in front of all these people in this kitchen in this big share household to go i have kiralee's astrology chart and i'm thinking what is this and she starts telling everyone how boring it is <laughs> and that i have this virgo rising and blah 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 anyway i'd have enough i had enough of this girl 
So I start this huge argument with her and I'm like, I do not have Virgo rising, blah, blah, blah. I, I didn't know anything about astrology. I didn't know what she was talking about. I'd never seen an astrology chart. So we're having this big war and I'm so determined that I don't have Virgo rising, even though in the back of my head, I'm thinking, what, what even is Virgo rising? You know what I mean? Like, why am I arguing about this so much? Anyway, after this big drama, I stormed out and I, uh, I knew that a friend had just gotten a computer. It's the early nineties and he said he had an astrology program. So I don't know what it would have been on. And I went over to his house and I went and saw him. I'm like, right, you have to do my astrology. I have to find out what this stupid thing is so I can go tell this girl, you know, F off. Anyway, so he did my chart and he goes, no, you've got Leo rising. And I felt so vindicated because I'm like, that's it. I knew I had Leo rising. And then I'm back in my head. I'm like, man, what am I even thinking? I don't even know what Leo rising means, right? So anyway, in full Scorpio fashion, I'm a Scorpio sun. I'm like, I'm not ever going to let anyone do that to me again. So like I went home and I had my astrology chart now and I just started this obsession with astrology. I started looking for books in secondhand bookstores. I just started looking for everything I could find about astrology and I sat up every night on my bed for hours into the early hours of the morning with any astrology books I had around me and I just studied intensively and obsessively full Scorpio style. First my own chart, of course. And then pulled in all my family's charts and started learning from there. So it just, it just started instantaneously and, and it was an obsession straight away. And I just, I just haven't stopped, you know, like I just have not stopped this, um, this love that I've had <laughs> for so long. The curious thing is this though, when I was 30 years old, so this is like 10 years later or something, I'm so astrology 10 years later. Um, my father rings me and he's like, Hey, we found a box of your stuff at home. And I'm like, no, nah, you couldn't have, you know, cause I thought I cleared everything out before I left when I was a teenager. And he's like, no, we think it's your stuff. And anyway, so I went out to his place to get this box of stuff. And when I opened it, out comes reams and reams and reams of this old, like, um, computer paper stuff we used to write on in primary school, like in the seventies. And it is just full of me writing about astrology, like so much astrology, like I'm obsessed with it when I'm a little kid. Now, I'd forgotten about that because I had this argument with my father when I, I don't know, I must have been about, I don't know, 10 years old or 11 years old or something. And uh, I remember now, like, because he's very strict Catholic and my mother had told him that I'd been like, um, playing with astrology and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, he went into this furious rage and came and saw me <laughs> in it and he screamed at me that astrology was the work of the devil and uh, and I just saw how scared he was. Like he was scared, scared, scared. I was going to take the whole family to hell if I continued with this astrology. So I decided in that day to just put it down even though I was really loving it because I didn't want my father so upset. So somehow my scorpionic brain, that just went into the unconscious completely. And I completely forgot about astrology. So it wasn't until this girl harassed me, you know, some 10 years later, that something got triggered and awakened again, and I got back into it. And so it was pretty neat, I thought, by the time I'm getting close to 30, it was my father that, you know, tipped me off to deliver me back this inner childhood news that you were always into astrology. And um, so I think that's pretty profound. The karma was paid. 
Really? Is that is that your interpretation? Tell me. About well, it. oh, it's funny. Um, I first of all, beautiful story. It goes to show you. First of all, uh, Scorpios. I don't know what's going on in your chart. Like if you're an Aries moon or what's going on, but it's like they'll fight for what they believe in, even if they don't know what it is. <laughs> so she she knew she wasn't a Virgo rising, but she's gonna fight for it. I'm also rising to props on that front. Um, ironically, this episode is the 78th episode we're doing, and I tend to take the um, numbers and reduce them to the uh, major arcana and ironically uh-huh. enough this is the devil episode so it's resonant even Ooh. at that level where where uh, you know you're saying your dad was afraid of the devil and that's kind yeah. of what we're dealing with right so yeah, yeah. um i'll just say really quick what um we've had david angelis who made the starman tarot deck uh, come on the podcast before shout out david uh, i love his deck but really quickly what mm. the synopsis for the devil is it says i am the master deceiver and it is time to break the spell uh, embracing your inner trickster, giving into temptations, making choices based on impulse rather than desire, deceiving yourself, feeling hopeless, right? So a lot of kind of connotations that ironically come up in a way with the story you just said, where it's like, you, in order to deal with it, you impulsively reacted to basically please dad, which is in a sense good. I'm not really hating on that. Uh, in a sense, not good, obviously. You can expand upon why. <laughs> oh, it was exactly. compassion. Because I was, I was given so much devil news as a child. I was constantly told I had the devil in me. It was all devil, devil, devil. And I just thought everyone was nuts as a kid. I'm like, there's no such thing as a devil. You Like, everyone's mental. Like, the nuns, the parents, the teachers, everyone's insane around here. Like, so when I saw my father going crazy on the devil stuff, I'm like, look, I don't, in my brain, I'm thinking, I don't believe this, but I can see that you do. <laughs> so it was out of love for him. I'm like okay, okay, I like this, but it's not nearly as hardcore as how scared you are right now, so I'm just going to drop it. So that was a gift to him. Right, and like you were saying, yeah, I guess my interpretation of the situation would be if he's the one who arbitrated your re-emergence into it through that kind of focal point, that's totally higher self-karmic stuff going on, or whatever you want to call it. It seems like, (laughs) uh, you know, he ripped off the Band-Aid early as a kid, or, you know, cut you in such a way that you bled, and now here's the bandage, go fix yourself back up, kiddo, or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. My my first impression of it when when that came to me, like it was around 30 years old, also concluding the Saturn return, which was gnarly, um, I thought it was like a past life trajectory. I just thought... This is this feels to me like collective stuff. Like there would have been so many of us passing through whatever centuries, working in a uninhibited way with astrology and all sorts of things, and and then would come along something like the Inquisition or something, and we all get blacked out for so long that we all have to hide from ourselves, our own skills and craft, because we can't let anybody know what it is we do and what it is we know kind of thing just to stay out of the way of the catholic church while they you know rain their terror down for however many centuries gandalf with is it secret is it safe kind of stuff yeah i mean i also came into this life with like this um chronic phobia around writing and a chronic phobia around anybody reading anything i wrote and i used to hide information everywhere like um I was very, very, like, it, it all feels very past life-ish to me that, like, there's there's been a lot of, like, you know, hiding of a lot of stuff to stay out of the way of the Catholic Church and realise that, you know, people are insane and they're ready to kill over this stuff. So, um, yeah, and true Scorpio style, if I had to hide something that might kill me, I'd have to hide it from myself. So I felt like 
there must be like this. It's like a, in a in one person's short lifetime, there's a blackout there on astrology, which is the unconscious and something. And, and Scorpio, you know, we have to look at denial and the power of denial and all of that sort of stuff and how I was able to completely go unconscious on that for so long. And then when it came back, it was just so, oh, so beautiful. <laughs> and the other writing that was in there that I'd obviously hidden um, was came back as well so yeah pretty amazing so out of curiosity i don't have your chart in front of me what are kind of some of your yeah. major placements uh you're a sun uh, what house that kind of stuff you, man. My chart? you could do that i totally just realized i sent you a whole sign uh i didn't scroll deep enough into my memory banks to send you plastics i can do that in a second um but i am curious because you are like a very strong character like in a good in the best sense of the way like i um i tend to look at i mean i'm a double gemini and um basically 11th house sun 10th house moon in plastus and i found that like observing really interesting pokemon on the game of life or whatever like you're one of these pokemon where i've always kind of known that you have you're highly magical i mean i could sense that right so um give us kind of a, a context in terms of like when did it go from oh this girl's reading my chart and i'm kind of like house party like vibes of awareness and gnosis like when did you start taking the initiatory path into becoming an astrologer how did that look uh, okay, so I stayed, um, just like I said, I was somewhat obsessed with astrology, so I just, I just kept it as a passion, really, and just dived deep. I then, um, yeah, I, this is the 90s, right, so I'm in my own universe with astrology, I don't know anybody else really studying it or who knows much about it. I'm, you know, just scouring around um, esoteric bookstores and secondhand bookstores. Where, and I'm a DJ, by the way, for like 13 years, just full time playing underground techno or whatever, and parties and festivals and all of that. So I'm traveling a lot between cities on the weekends and I'm all over the place. So in my spare time, I'm just moving through record stores and bookstores. So just constantly collecting astrology and just uh there were so many amazing writers you know from the early 90s big influences like liz green and others and i'm just lapping it all up but in my own world and it still sounded like some kind of sorcery or heresy to most people i knew to be studying astrology so it was just a very like eccentric thing that i was into um i didn't have a clue that there was any interesting australian astrologers i just thought there were all these you know, people whose books I read from overseas. And then um, by the, I guess by the time yeah, I'm getting around to 30, I, I don't know, just running for a train one day and I pick up a book to read for a long train ride and it's written by this guy who's an Australian astrologer. And so I was so blown away. I'm like, oh my God, like I've been doing this by myself for like, I don't know, eight years or something. And I just wrote to him an email. I'm like, hi, my God, there's an Australian astrologer. Like, wow, hello. Like, And then he wrote back to me and he said, oh, no, you're in the neighborhood of quite a number of great astrologers. Like, So he gave me the list of people's names in Sydney. And I wrote to all of them, went, oh, hi, like, you know, I do astrology too. <laughs> like, who are you? Like, And one woman bothered to um, write to me and say, come, come along to my classes or whatever. And she was doing beginner's classes and I'm like, yeah, nah, I don't think I need a beginner's class. <laughs> I think I could teach it, you know. And um, also as I was recovering out of some pretty brutal depression and I wasn't really a fan of leaving the house at this point. 
So um, this woman was amazing. Like she just kept ringing me up and she's like, hi, like she's like, you know, really please come to my, come to my astrology class. And it was, it meant getting a train on Tuesday night, like for about, I don't know, 40 minutes out west to a really dangerous area of Sydney and coming back on the train by myself really late at night. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't even want to leave the house kind of thing. But she just had this beautiful power in her and uh, she actually convinced me to do this and it was sort of like my first big excursion out into the world after a couple of years of depression. So I went along and it was a beginner's class. Obviously, I didn't need to be there, but um, it was just something about this woman. Anyway, it turns out I uh, she was very like sure that I needed to be in her class. And so I ended up studying with her for three years and uh, she was an excellent astrologer, excellent teacher, but she was a profound like power um, angel warrior and um, I healed in her class and I also um, had, you know, a powerful third eye awakening with her and uh, she was highly intelligent, highly mathematical. We did all the drawing of the charts by hand. Um, she was a really good bridge for me to know astrology out of the old school world um, before we'd all went into computers and stuff. So I got to learn all that old school way of doing astrology. And through knowing her, I connected into an, a network of astrologers. We have the Federation of Australian Astrologers in Australia. and That dropped me into the New South Wales chapter. And suddenly I'm meeting all these brilliant astrologers like Ed Tamplin and Maggie Kerr and Australia is just rich in amazing, awesome, very awesome people, very awesome astrologers. And um, they had an exam thing for Australia and I went along and did one of the exams and I got the, I got a hundred percent and um, Good job. And the, math, the mathematics, I was the only one that had ever got that and they gave me this award and suddenly I was getting celebrated in this community and I'm like this little punk chick. DJ, <laughs> like everyone loved me. They're like, who is this girl? Like, where did she come from? <laughs> like, hi, hi, everybody. So I just kind of dropped in to this sort of community of people that I still to this day love dearly, all of them. Like, and then I started going along to the astrology conferences and just meeting. Uh, I meet Demetra George, you know, we love each other, just meeting all these beautiful characters and amazing astrologers and. Um, so it's just kind of marinating in wonderment of, of just this joy of astrology and amazing beings. And I was really, uh, you know, nurtured by everybody. And so I've just been playing along with it really and loving it. And uh, I have my own, as I uh, dovetailed out of um, DJing and towards transpersonal and shamanic and therapy and all of that sort of stuff, being a therapist, I included astrology in that, which was all okie dokie. Um, but then at a certain point, <laughs> I got a calling from Shiva. I was like, I didn't really have any connection to Shiva. And Shiva called me to India. And um, I just had this intense thing. I had to go to India. So I went to India with 100 bucks, right? I went there and... 100 I, Australian? That's not a whole lot. Yeah, 100 Australian bucks. I went to India like for six weeks or something and I'm just like I have to go on this calling you know to to meet Shiva and um and of course like I went to this like yoga thing that was happening like in the first week but I, I ran out of money right so I was sitting there 
on this um, Sunday night in a yoga class, Sunday afternoon in a yoga class, and I'm like, I'd, I'd run out of money. I was really hungry. I couldn't concentrate on the yoga, so I'm like starting to daydream of like all this food I want to eat, and I'm starting to daydream into a chapati and some chocolate and just like oh yeah like I want some food and then I'm thinking maybe I've got a little bit of money in my key card I'll try and get some money out at the ATM after the yoga class so after yoga class I go to the ATM and um, there's no money in my ATM at all like I'm just kidding myself but there is this plastic bag sitting next to the ATM and I do look inside it and there was wrapped up this steaming hot chapati with this organic freaking chocolate. I'm like, what the? And that's when I knew freaking Shiva, A. Eh? Like, Shiva's in the house. Like, I got my chapati and chocolate. So I, like, was so stoked on this. And I'm like, wow, I'm going to take this down to Mother Ganga, to the River Ganges, and I'm going to sit there on Sunday night through the sunset, and I'm going to love this chapati and chocolate, right? And so I go down to the river. And just as I go down there to eat it, some girl comes out of freaking nowhere and she's just like, hey, hey, she's like, I heard you're an astrologer. And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, oh, my God, I need to get an astrology reading off you tonight. And I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. And so I went and hung out with this girl for a few hours and she paid me a lot of money to do this astrology reading with her. And then the next day, long story short, she basically ordered all these people in her yoga teacher training or whatever she was in. She ordered them all to have astrology readings with me. And then, like, seriously, from that day, I was booked out in my hotel room in India just doing astrology readings nonstop. I had people lining up outside my door wanting to come in and do astrology workshops with me. So I ended up like squeezing all these people in my hotel room, everyone on the bed or just hanging around. And I was just knocked out as this full-time astrologer there. I also in that time met this um, uh, Vedic, uh, he's like a astrologer Brahmin. So like he came from a family with like a unbroken lineage of astrology that lasted like over 800 years and was this very well-renowned Brahmin astrologer in Northern India. And I went and sat with him and did some, you know, just, just watched him do astrology and he did my chart and stuff. And I had this full on like spiritual awakening in this moment, which I, which I feel was Shiva who suddenly was like, I don't know. It was like from that point, I never needed to look at astrology charts kind of again in a 2d way from that place. It was like this full third eye awakening. And suddenly astrology just went into a whole different level for me. Like, I was now able to channel it in a whole different level. And then I went away and studied with this man for about a week, just studied enough enough Indian astrology to know that I don't need to study it. Like I just leave that system alone and, and respect it and just stay with Western astrology. But after that, also living in India for that time, I realized everyone was like their whole world lives on astrology and I'd never seen anything like it in Australia. Like I'd been a total like eccentric nutter doing astrology in Australia, whereas in India it was the norm. And anyway, all of that was enough for me to come back from India and go, wow, I've been awakened on some level with astrology that's next level and then I won't tell you the next story unless it comes through but then I did get a calling from Kuan Yin later to come to Thailand and part of that calling was to work full-time as an astrologer so um, yeah so I've it's been like it took about 20 years for me to get to the point where I'm just like 
I'm just reading it uh, through the higher chakras and um, yes, yeah, there's a lot of light in it for me doing astrology work and yeah, it's just another level. So I would imagine now that the way to study this is to, you know, first study it technically and do all the research and line it all up intellectually and um, but then eventually work on yourself work on yourself to become an instrument of it so that, you know, and, and go through the awakening so the astrology can move through something at the level of what I was witnessing with the Brahmin priests. So um, that's where, and I'm, I'm, I called myself purely cosmic space priestess without really knowing that there was this component to it that goes beyond the regular way of understanding mind. So yeah, that's been my trajectory with it. So I feel like I've come into full stream with it maybe yeah, 20 years into it. Well, as Paris Hilton would say, that's hot. Uh, I'm curious. I'm, maybe Raphael has some questions. I want to make sure he has the opportunity to ask them. But um, in terms of the Shiva thing, what was the phenomenological kind of um, experience that made you think it was that energy? And I am curious in terms of uh, what kind of experience i mean i'm a double gem and i'm asking all these questions um mm. what did kuan yin trigger you and and you're in thailand now you're doing the mission now so that's kind of this uh bodhisattva compassion feminine mm. uh, asian thing um i don't know how mm. i mean let's presume everybody hasn't taken comparative religion studies give us kind of an idea of how these initiations kind of felt uh okay. first person style <laughs> yeah yeah great um so with the shiva one i I the only thing I can remember is the this the gut the stomach like there was it felt like I had an umbilical cord going from my stomach to somewhere to northern India now I didn't know anything about India or the geography of India or anything like that and um oh that's right no hang on, no yeah okay I did I did have an encounter, another encounter with Shiva when I got to India, I just forgot. So it was a sense of, and also um, just getting signs around Shiva. It was the same thing with Kuan Yin. Like I got the calling from her. I, I was sitting with the calling from her and had answered it. Like it took about a couple of months before I was able to distill it was actually Kuan Yin. So it, I, I think in terms of the callings that I have, they usually start viscerally, like there's something happening some sort of phenomena what feels like at a bodily or energy body level and then there's some kind of you know visions of you know a sense of where this is heading before it actually crystallizes as a deity um so with the shiva one i can't even remember i'd have to go back through my journals to find out how that crystallized um i do remember at the time yeah, it was such a shock that it was Shiva. I mean, in terms of Indian deities, I guess the only one I was really grooving with at that point was Ganesha. And that was just because, I don't know, I just, I didn't even know who Ganesha was, but I love collecting Ganesha's images and I had them everywhere. Um, but yeah, the Shiva thing definitely came through as this stomach thing, this writhing stomach thing. And yeah, just feeling, yeah, this, this, this call from my belly to northern India. And then I just, I, I don't know why, I thought this must be Shiva, I guess it aligned. And then when I got there, I did have an encounter where I actually met Shiva through doing some, I went to a tantric um, workshop and I was uh, working with this girl. When in India, as they say. Yeah, 
yeah, and I met this, like, I was working with this girl, another Scorpio, and um, I don't know, we just fell into this thing together, and um, and then she just started, like, caressing me, and she just kept saying to me, looking into my eyes, she was just like, my eyes kept wanting to close and look away, look away, look away. And she just kept looking into my eyes and just saying, uh, keep looking into my eyes, keep looking into my eyes, keep looking into my eyes. And as I did that, I kept looking into her eyes and that's where I first met Shiva. I was just like, wow, like I saw this extraordinarily beautiful being. I'm just like, wow. Like, and I was just like, and it was a job to keep my eyes open and keep looking into her eyes to see through the eyes of Shiva. And that sort of stayed with me as a spiritual practice then for some time, like maybe a year or two, of just always just remembering to look into the eyes of Shiva and keep my eyes open and just keep looking into the eyes. So I guess it was something around, um, yeah, just feeling called in through to other realms and, yeah, just keeping my eyes open, which is very sort of metaphoric for stay awake, you know, just stay awake, just keep your eyes open, <laughs> keep looking into my eyes and, and let everything else dissolve around that. And then I continued to, you know, I just really fell in love with Shiva. You know, I think it's Shiva's the ultimate rock god, you know, like. Um, <laughs> and when you say rock, you're probably not meaning like igneous rocks. You mean like rock and roll? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, Iggy Pop. So just for the record, because uh, I'm not that astute on uh, Hindu mythology. Ironically, I've gotten one tarot reading once before, and the guy was like, Ganesh is a guide for you. Uh, Odin's a guide for you. Thoth is a guide. Like, ah. check this shit out. And I know Raphael yeah. is looking probably right now at a Ganesha mural or something in his room. He's he's into Ganesh. Um, so it's funny. I know a little about that. The obstacle remover and placer, ironically, of obstacles. But that kind of energy. Shiva, in my estimation, and correct me if I'm wrong, is kind of the observer and Shakti's like life. It's almost like pattern patter mother kind of energy of a fundament in a sense in a in a hindu uh framework am i getting that right where it's like this is the divine witness and i guess all the material reality the matrix mother womb stuff is shakti uh so my understanding is tantric so i don't really know too much about hindu uh, i'll just say one thing before i go there first to know is that most of my experience of the deities is that I uh, get to know them exactly like this. I get called, I work through the energetics and the visionary plane, and I come to know them usually in my own way. I don't, I never usually open up a book and study them, though I've done that with Greek mythology and all of that sort of stuff and astrology, which is great, which I love. But of, of the last umpteen years, these callings have just sort of seemed to have come out of nowhere and... I'm sort of playing catch up around a lot of this stuff. So with Shiva, um, my understanding is tantric, which is uh, a religion that was, it's not a religion, it was like a tradition that was focused on liberation that was in full swing about a thousand years ago and was, a, I'd say it was one of the most, uh, you know, like popular and powerful um traditions happening from about 800 I guess till about 1200 in India and all of Southeast Asia all the way through you know Thailand and Laos and Cambodia and Vietnam all the way down to Bali and you still see quite 
a number of temples in Bali dedicated to this tantric tradition. And this was a householder tradition. So it wasn't with monks and nuns and all of that sort of stuff or Brahmins. It was uh, people just living at home, you know, married, children, businesses, all of that, householders. There was no temples, um, but very powerful tradition for, you know, what we would say today is, is enlightenment. So it's all just focused on waking up and full liberation. So um, this is what I study. This is what I love. So um, in terms of Tantra, Shiva is awareness. So uh, awareness isn't the same as a detached observer. So awareness is, you know, uh, it's hard to talk about these things, but it's who we are and it's all of existence and it's all that is eternal and it's what drives all of this, you know, but um, awareness in a way that we could imagine, though isn't totally correct, um, is stillness, that still silent, vast spaciousness that we experience anytime we close our eyes and tune into what's actually there. So if we close our eyes and actually ask ourselves, you know, try and locate ourselves, where am I in all of this? We'll find there's nothing there. And when we start tapping into that awesome spaciousness, then we're in the realm of Shiva. Shakti is the vibration. She's the energy. She's the movement. She's from which all things arise. So in a way, the mother template is a good analogy, like this great matrix from which all form, all things in manifestation are birth. She is everything in manifestation. She's the toaster. She's your girlfriend. She's like everything, you know. So she is pure awareness and Shakti is manifestation. And um, the, the sort of splitting hair difference in a way between a lot of the Vedantic traditions, um, which you'll find is the majority of the monastic or renunciate, or um, ascetic. It's the whole neti-neti thing, right? Yeah, they're all very, like, uh, stoic, observer. Yeah. Everything out there is an illusion. Like, let's cut off our, you know, our genitals and our emotions and our let's cut it all out and come back down to what is true and pure, which is the true, um, you know, Brahman is just like all there is is God, like all there is is awareness. So those pathways are predominant and they are all fine and dandy because people wake up in them for sure and become enlightened in them. Um, but the tantric one is like, no, it's like there's, it's not like that. It's like a, like Shiva and Shakti are ceaselessly interpenetrating one another so that when we, are like in that toaster is just as much Shiva as Shakti, you know, because Shiva is the, um, Shiva is, is awareness is everything it's in everything everything is made of awareness like there's just no separation of these things so this is why tantrics uh, fully embody everything the instincts the taste the flavors the pleasures the life it's just like it's all it's all good it's all it's all Shiva it's all Shakti there's no separation so it's it's a different way of um you know traveling the path of liberation so yeah that's the short answer i hope i've done it justice oh no you totally uh yeah i'm not hindu so i'm not like trying to rep any schools or anything i was just kind of a curious in terms of people's kind of uh syncretic methods like we all pick up kind of artifacts from cultures prior to us or whatever and it's mm. interesting to see how we kind of weave it together for our own 
narrative or whatever, monomyth yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rafa has been kind of quiet. I don't know if he has any questions. No questions in particular. It's just always good to point out the differentiations between, as you laid out, the properly understood tantric and ascetic ways and so on and so forth. And uh, just a quick question, Raphael. What's your connection to Ganesh? Um, well, uh, I would say initially it's just equally intuitive as Kirili pointed out. So no particular reason. At some point, as explained in the last episode, I just then went out and was like, oh, I want a new like art for my room. What am I going to use? I'm going to use this huge three by three meters or whatever Ganesh thing because it looks cool. And that's how it started. And, and other than that, I mean, I mentioned before the idea of the brain intersection from below looks like Ganesh. So in retrospect, I could say, you know, Ganesh is the garden of the threshold, blood brain barrier, you may say. And then also everyone on some degree can identify this especially in a position such as ours as well. So I'm not surprised that Jim also, you have it as a guardian. I mean, who doesn't? It's one of the most liked deities in India, especially. But I would say for those who are in any capacity in the role of translating information, higher frequency information, let's say, or uh, divulging information or making it accessible or all related to the scribe and wisdom aspects of Ganesh, and also very much to the guardian of the threshold aspect. So that's uh, kind of how I look at it. And of course, then, you know, abundance, removing and creation of obstacles, but really this idea of guardian of the threshold. Word. Uh, I think I heard you maybe shuffling tarot cards, Kirli. But um, I, I, was like, just, huh. I, I was like, like huh, is she getting real like, magical on us? <laughs> Don't, don't make any noise. I realized okay. I couldn't hear it. I'm like, stop it. <laughs> oh, you're cool. I love it. It's good. Uh, it's good. Uh, you know, background white noise. I prefer that to what? Like, you know, traffic noises. It's all good. Um, I think what you were kind of saying, Raphael, just then kind of resonated with the fact that I don't know about your proclivities with psychedelics, Curly. You don't have to incriminate yourself if you don't want to kind of thing. Um, I'm an advocate for sure. I mean, that's what Team Rabbit is all about. Kind of, you know, McKenna, Alan Watts, find the others, uh, Timothy Leary, rather, find the others kind of thing. And um, although having a responsibility with the Alan Watts, hang up the phone when you kind of get the message vibes also. So, you know, tenacious and theogen user, but like responsible and kind of trying to use it as a tool, not just a party drug or something. Uh, in any event, I think Ganesh might have something to do with the blame barrier in that sense, where it's like when you adjust these psychedelic kind of psychoactive chemicals. Even I mean, Ganesh is a psychedelic elephant theory. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of some abstract way of the uh, Dumbo trip or whatever's going on in that movie where it's like if you break through these barriers you're going to have to have somebody kind of guiding you through this um maybe that's a i don't know it just came to mind i'm not saying this is the case it's like huh interesting um let's talk about kwan yin for a second maybe and then i might yeah. actually start pull you know i'm wondering what cards you pulled and maybe we could talk about the charts i didn't actually get your chart in the facebook group chat i sent my plastic uh, yeah, yeah yeah hang on um, i was I know. doing that there's you, so many things you just so many things. and i'll do it Right on. And uh, when you're not talking, if you hit mute, that's cool. If not, we're just taking clear, you know, I don't mind hearing you click and stuff like that. It doesn't bother me. So, um, yeah, with Quan Yin, I'm kind of curious. I It seemed like, how would I put this? I've had moments on LSD where I've popped through in my own kind of understanding of things to be like, I need to be a bodhisattva. 
Like I need, I guess I guess I could leave this place and try to go somewhere else, but this place fucking matters while we're on it. So let's try to like hold the ground and be that guardian of the threshold or however we could put that. Um, so I don't know how Kuan Yin ties into that, but it seemed always like this multi-armed kind of... Uh, I mean, I've seen beautiful videos of women um, probably in Bali or South, Southern uh, Asia kind of lining up. I think they were actually deaf, maybe even, um, but basically lining up and doing all this arm stuff, and it was very Kuan Yin energy, according to the video. Uh, what does that mean to you? How did you hear the calling? Like, you're in Thailand now. Is that more of a resonant feature there etc wow it's again it's like a, another story i'll tell you so I, di I didn't really have any connection to kuan yin i was actually um i actually relied quite heavily on mother mary to pull me through a lot of stuff and um yeah so she was i guess she was she was a really prominent deity for me mother mary um then i actually it's another like huffing puffing moment like when I'm getting into that huff puff with that girl over astrology I I had a moment in Australia because dentistry is so freaking expensive like and I got served this dental bill and told how much my next one was going to be for something and I just burst into tears in the dental clinic because I'm like this is so freaking expensive like and I just decided right there in that moment that's it I'm going to Thailand like it's cheaper to actually get on an international flight from Australia go to Thailand hang out for a couple of months while you get all this dental work and come back and you'll still have spare change, you know, compared to what it costs in Australia. So, you know, events in my life conspired in a way where I was like, okay, I'm going to Thailand and then um, to get my teeth done <laughs> and, then, and I need to wait around because it was a certain procedure. So I decided to come to Copangang and there was like a, um, a yoga course I could do and I thought I'll go along and do that while I'm waiting. So interestingly, when I got here, um, the moment I arrived, I, I like really the moment I arrived, I just felt this intense calling to live on the island and I rejected it straight away because I'm like, no way. Like I really love the Australian landscape and I had a pretty good thing going in Australia. I, you know, been working in my business for 10 years and I lived on this house in a beach at the bottom of a rainforest escarpment and stuff. I'm just like, you know, lots of friends and stuff. And I just like, there's no way I would live on this little island, right? And um, I just got pummeled with, um, it was like everywhere I went, the the trees were talking to me, the plants were talking to me, the wind was talking to me. Everything was kind of whispering to me from this kind of like um, elemental kind like of Like a Davis energy. kind of thing? I was like, like, <laughs> like giggly, laughing, like elemental energy stuff. Sounds almost like, like the beginning of a mushroom trip keep going <laughs> yeah and then uh well actually mushrooms figure heavily in this story um then i started getting surrounded by um dragonflies were following me everywhere like i had like swarms of dragonflies around me i go to the beach i'm just surrounded in dragonflies i'm walking anywhere and i can't see anybody else surrounded in dragonflies i'm like what the heck is going on and this really like elemental energy i tried to do like a shamanic um ritual when i was there like a kind of welcome to country type thing we would do in australia just introduce myself to the landscape but it was interesting because there was no ancestral energy so and um like i'm used to australia and it was just all this like yeah more high-pitched elemental stuff going on and um yeah and it was just constantly calling me and finally like um oh that's right i kept like feeling like uh i'd look up into the sky and look into these sort of cloud formations 
And I could sense there was like a female presence there that was behind all these elementals being the messengers. And I'm like, there's this female presence. So I was going around to people on the island going, is there a female deity of this island? And they was like, no. I was like, is there a goddess of this island? No. I'm just like, okay. So I wasn't getting any help from anyone on the ground that there could be any kind of mythology or tradition or anything around any of this madness that I was going through. And then one day I just suddenly realized I need to find a mushroom shaman. I need to do a mushroom ceremony to find out what this is. Now, I'd never heard of a mushroom shaman. I'd never heard about mushroom ceremonies, but I knew ayahuasca and stuff. So I thought maybe, I don't know, somewhere in my brain, it was all just, it has to be mushrooms, like it, not ayahuasca, even though I could have gone to a ayahuasca ceremony. Anyway, I start um, asking people around, is there a mushroom shaman? And finally I, I found one. And uh, there was ex specifically a mushroom shaman. And I went and saw this amazing being and um, said, I need to do it on this specific moon, which was happening in a day or two. And like do this uh, ceremony. And basically that's what's, what happened. I went and did this um, very, very powerful mushroom ceremony. Mushrooms are here from the elephants. So they're all um, consecrated to Ganesha. The ceremony's here for the mushrooms. Sink there. That's what's up. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. And then um, I had a super amazing, very, very, very powerful journey. But straight as it started in full swing, I had this powerful visitation from these dragons and it was a very like Southeast Asian mushroom trip. Like everything came to me in old Siamese, like old Thailand um, imagery and stuff. Like I, I could suddenly understand Thai architecture and everything about the Thailand landscape now that I saw it through the lens of mushrooms and the dragons and all this mythos that was out there on this um, ultra plane of existence. I'm like, ah, that's what everything looks like. That's how all their artwork looks like. I'm getting it, you know. But anyway, the dragons came through and they were like, we want you to live here. I'm like, ah, like, I'm trying to get away from this message. And it's like, um, finally, I was like, I can see, you know, like the dragons are calling me now. And they're such beautiful dragons. And I felt, you know, I felt very special to be visited by these dragons these southeast asian ones you know not like european ones and um yeah it was a pretty phenomenal experience that mushroom journey as well i go into pretty powerful stuff and then so i came out of it and the first thing i said to the mushroom shaman was like the island's calling me to live here and she was just like yeah and i'm like oh, okay and i said and I also said, it's also called me to build a temple. And she said, yeah. And then I said, it's also telling me I'm going to be part of this creative explosion. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. And then, um, you know, sometime later in a yoga class, I was, uh, I was really freaked out about this news because I didn't want to leave Australia. I had no intention. And it seemed like there was this very strong calling that I needed to say yes to. And I remember thinking in this yoga class, like, what am I going to do? How am I going to earn money? I mean, do I just go home and pack up my life in Australia? I moved to this island that only has, you know, a tourist population a few months a year. What am I going to do here? And then the dragons came back and they said, you're going to be the astrologer. And I'm like, oh, really? And, and they're like, but of course, worry about anything. You don't have to worry about money. You don't have to worry about anything. Like, this is all part of it. You're here to do astrology. And I'm like, okay. And then that made me super happy because I'm like, wow, I can't do that in Australia. Can I do it here? And that was part of it. And then um, 
later when I, like I went, I went back, I was actually in deep grief around this whole thing of having to leave Australia, which I did take another mushroom trip over, which was very powerful. And in this one, Krishna came. But then I went back to Australia and started packing up my life with the intention to return to Thailand in six weeks. So it was a pretty awesome and um, horrible ordeal, this suddenly like letting go of everything, including the four bookshelves of astrology books and stuff, and, like <laughs> all my records and everything, you know. But um, in that process of packing down, I just suddenly got this flash of like, oh my God, that goddess is Kuan Yin, that goddess in the sky, that feminine presence that's calling me. It just suddenly dawned on me and I just knew it with every cell of my being. I'm like, my God, that's Kuan Yin. I didn't know much about Kuan Yin, but I'm like, that's Kuan Yin for sure. And then I'm like, oh, wow, I'm being called by Kuan Yin. I'm like, this is amazing. So anyway, when I got back to the island, when I packed everything up and moved there, which is nothing, just a just, you know, one suitcase of my life and holy crap, I hope this is going to go okay. I've just cut off everything from Australia. Um, I found out there was a temple on the island dedicated to Kuan Yin. So I went to that temple and it's just full of dragons. There's dragon art, dragon iconography, dragon everything in this temple. And finally I put two and two together. I'm like, oh my God, like, all these messages from the dragons, they're Kuan Yin's dragons. Like, anyway, so I just like slowly learn a little bit about Kuan Yin, which was pretty much, you know, she's the Bodhisattva. So the story goes like she could have entered the state of Nirvana, which is the ultra Buddha state of full realization, full enlightenment and transcended all of this existence. But right at the gates, she stops and is like, mm, mm, you know, back there in the world of form and <laughs> all of that, like all these people are suffering. And um, she decided out of great compassion to not reach the climax of her own ascendant awakened state and to restore herself back to somewhere close to the earth plane to support all beings coming into enlightenment. So um, she's known as the great uh, compassion, you know, the great goddess of compassion and mercy and she does have attributed to her various like more kind of local deity type duties of taking care of, you know, mothers and children and all that sort of stuff. There's various threads of um, legend and mythos you can follow in terms of how Kuan Yin came to be Kuan Yin. But interestingly, Kuan Yin only showed up around about the same time as this tantric stuff is going off in Southeast Asia. Like around 1,000, the year 1,000 is very interesting, and we can get up to that soon astrologically. It's very interesting because there's all these powerful shifts in terms of world religions going on at that time. You could say, even though Tantra is not a religion, nor is Kuan Yin. Kuan Yin is, is a religious free icon of something exquisite. So she originally was a male in the Tibetan tradition, Avalokiteshvara. I don't know how to say it Tibetan way, but it's um, uh, she's the she originally was the male Bodhisattva. That somewhere around the year 1000, like in terms of the archaeological evidence, they start to see the first statues revealed of Kuan Yin in the feminine form, and she becomes incredibly popular in China in the feminine form, and is obviously incredibly popular to this day. So there's a transfiguration out of male and into female, and I dig it. And, um, yeah, so 
she's seen as a, originally as this Tibetan deity that transfigures into a female one in China. All there's legends about her. But anyway, from my, from my end, again, I don't like to get too techy or intellectual about the deities in terms of like, you know, just having some, just awakenings, how they unfold. Um, all I knew was like, well, if I'm here, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why Kuanin's picked some Australian girl, you know, to come to Thailand and, and to, you know, I don't know, devote myself to Kuanin or some such. And then I thought about, well, what is this coming to enlightenment? Like, I didn't really know. I really did not think about it. I didn't have any con concept of awakening. I didn't have any concept of any of this stuff whatsoever. So um, I was still like a punk, you know, and, and, and just obsessed with music and things like that. And just like, why me? Like, why am I here? And then I thought to serve her is to support all beings come to enlightenment. And then I thought, well, if I'm going to do that, then maybe I should figure out what this whole coming to enlightenment is and put myself on that path first. So that was basically a logical deduction to start my journey in terms of the path of awakening. And so that began in June 2016. And I was called to open a uh, full moon ceremony here on the island and spoke at that. And everyone was invited to speak about something on that moon. And I said, well, this is the beginning of my journey, my pathway to awakening in this lifetime. And everyone's like, what? Like, yeah, that's kind of a heavy uh, announcement. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kind of like, yeah, I know. Like as if like I just, I just got the memo yesterday. I know nothing about it, but here we go. There's Nirvana or bust. <laughs> Yeah, it's just kind of like there's nothing else going on from here on in. Somehow I'm completely unattached to everything in the universe. I've just cut loose from everything and there's nothing in the way. It's me and Kuan Yin from here on in. So it's like um, everyone's like, okay, you know, but it wasn't like from ego. It was kind of like from innocent fool, you know, like um, and that's where it began. And then all sorts of amazing teachers dropped in on the path around this and that's where it's been heading really ever since then and, um, yeah, she's my she's my tutelary deity, and um, my experience of her so far is that she is this like she's the she's the most mega superpower I've ever come across in terms of consciousness. Like she's compassion, and as far as like I've been, um, I've had so many experiences now, profound experiences of attuning to her power, and um, it's just this it's just this I call it the realm of compassion, like. I don't, I don't really hear many people talking about compassion in the way that I've come to understand it through embodying Kuan Yin awareness. Um, it's, it's just so, so, so powerful. That's all I can say. It's all seeing, that's for sure. And um, in terms of like healing out of uh, trauma and all sorts of stuff, like it's very, very powerful. Like I'm pretty sure like compassion is the answer it's the medicine for trauma and for healing and um i i know words won't do it justice but um uh the well, you are a third house son scorpio you're doing pretty good with the words i have to say oh uh, yeah <laughs> and i'm not surprised really that i mean looking a little at your chart you have a moon in the fifth house in sag it's like of course you're going to be having these like revelatory experiences of heart awakening like I'm not shocked, but it's like it, it, how that might manifest is kind of particular to everyone's um, karma, you know, avatar, all sorts of stuff. So it's problematic. It's not like a 
one size fits all kind of thing. So just seeing that doesn't necessarily mean it'll translate to whatever. Um, let's go ahead and take a quick music break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about astrology in particular. Um, but thank you so much for uh, those stories because that that helped me kind of understand who you are. Now that I'm realizing it, I've been watching your journey probably while you were moving to Thailand and stuff. Like I didn't realize yeah, you weren't yeah, there yeah, yet. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah, yeah. dope. Because I knew there was a there was a tone that you were picking up, um, a more Kuan Yin tone, I guess I could say. And uh, I watched it happen on Facebook, kids. Uh-huh. So it, it's fun to watch Apotheosis live in action, I guess. Team Rabbit Hole seventy eight with Kirilli, the cosmic space priestess. We've been talking about relocation and uh, translocation. Do continue. Purely, you're there. Yeah, I'm here. I don't know. I, I Raphael said continue about translocation. We can, I thought that kind of summed up the whole how I got to Thailand story. But if we're missing anything, let us know. Um, no, I think that's I think that's all good. I think yeah. Word. At this point. <laughs> that was a trill ass track, uh, Raphael. That remix was dope. Uh, it hit me in a funny place because on the one hand, I was hearing it and it felt. Don't, don't take this too weird, Curly. But uh, while I was hearing it, I was trying to imagine, or I was getting triggered into the imagination of your experience seeing Shiva in the eyes of that lady. And then, like you know, right or not, here I come, kind of thing. Um, and then it also, it had this kind of like mushroomy kind of fun feeling where it's like all the spirits of that island and everything in Kwan Yin being like, "Yo, uh, ready or not, like here we go, like let's do this shit." Totally. It's like beautiful song for that. It's like, it's so beautiful for the spiritual calling ready or not. Here I come because it's, it's always like that. Like it's always no, 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 no. It's like, I live my life through callings and through, you know, guidance and stuff and all the key movements are like that. It's like, no, 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 not me, not me, not me, not now, not now, not now, you know, it's like, and then it's like, well, you know, ready or not, you know so yeah you just go you take these leaps of faith and that's kind of what makes it entertaining i mean in some um kind of abstract sense it seems we're a part of a a film of experience or however one wants to put this uh, philosophically um where it really does matter our participation seems to uh, change the film's direction so it doesn't surprise me that like reality itself is calling to you to do something to change and affect and transmute and alchemize in the reality it's not that we're just silent observers watching it like i kind of do dig what you're saying it's this is a visceral participatory event that has consequences and your lack of participation in certain ways might actually prevent nature or people from becoming fully itself or in some weird way yeah that's beautifully said i had to sing when i was younger like you know I just, I, I just didn't believe anything. Like I just started this thing when I was very young, but this is a traumatic response, but I did decide to play with the theory that everyone was lying and that I didn't, I didn't want to believe a thing. So I kind of shielded myself out of a lot of conditioning when I was very young because I took it all as BS. And then I thought I'll find out for myself. I was so keen to leave home as early as I could and get into the world and find out what's what and I started with the theory that none of this is true so um it's particularly around get a job and you know get married have a house you know blah 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 I'm like yeah nah I just thought nah 
and this is not happening. Like I felt there was a presence of something. I wouldn't call it God or anything because it's too damaged by Catholicism. So I just felt like there was this like uh, something to participate with, <laughs> something like there was just something there. So I set myself all these really random and crazy tasks um, to do that seemed extraordinarily impossible and I called it back then just testing reality as if like I was a kid poking reality, just testing if it was true. Like, you know, what if I did this? What if I did this? What if I did this? And I'd set up all these games to play in consciousness um, to see. I mean, this is actually... your third house, Mars, Uranus thing going on hard right here. Uh, just for that. I'm like, yo, I uh, think the, about it. It's like the, you're pushing the energy. The very, very you're the astrologer. Mood. I don't know my own chart. I don't look. I uh, can't read my own chart. I, it's, I, I suffer the same thing. I never look at my own shit. It's so weird. I've done it I once can't. or twice. And I'm like, what the fuck? Um, but no, it's funny <laughs> because you do have Mars conjunct Uranus. I'm pretty sure I, I yeah. don't have it up right now. Um, in the third house. So it's like, of course, yeah. you're going to be the most extreme like sportsman of the game of life, if you want to put it that yeah. way. It's like it's all a game, and you're kind of calling yeah. bullshit on everybody, but at the same time, creating a kind of radical conditions for yourself to transcend through play. Yeah, yeah. So I like one of the first gifts I gave myself, like um uh these days I'd call it like a transpersonal resource, but I decided to um give myself uh um unlimited access pass. So I gave myself that gift when I was sort of around about twenty or something and um that meant I could go anywhere. I could go anywhere in the world, I could get on aeroplanes, I could go to big rock festivals, I could walk through any gate anywhere and i had in my mind an unlimited all access pass and i thought well this is the imagination nobody else has thought to give themselves this i bet but i have where did that come from and let's see if it works and so i would get up and i would travel places around the world by myself and not have any money not know the language pre-internet no guides no nothing and i just play all these games in consciousness because i'd be like the only thing that i can work with is my is is awareness and um and just constantly setting up games to get me through all these different kind of virtual realities i was experiencing by traveling in other countries and cultures and stuff and just like just throwing myself headlong at life and just seeing what i could find out without anything anybody else was saying of how this whole game worked kind of thing so um yeah like a really strong penchant for experimentation and of course back then like i absolutely love psychedelics like i was just slamming acid massively like when i was younger i loved it team so rabbit all approved all good yeah i loved it i loved it so much i loved it so much i took so much it eventually stopped working on me so i was, like, I was really bummed about that but it was like you know as a friend once said to me you can't open an already open window and i'm like yeah the, the, the doors of perception are open like i don't have to you know i always say to people i'm a i'm a, I'm a permanent tripper like i don't I right don't like salvador Dali said like i am drugs it's kind of like that thing or it's like after yes. i'm noticing that now i mean i've done enough lsd not like massive massive amounts but it's like i've done enough where it's starting to i feel like my biochemistry and my framework my modeling is like neuroplastically altered towards lsd realms more than not it might actually play a little into how i'm not saying you're like you know open-eyed tripping all the time like some acid casualty i'm not really suggesting that but um the idea where you're you're the veil might be really thin that like more than it had been before and maybe that's part of why your mind can kind of grok the spirits you know the devas or whatever you know elements and all Mm -hmm. elementals and all this stuff because you've basically allowed your brain to become a receiver for 
that which is not you know psychedelic kind of experience in a sense um i have a yeah. quick question about your um djing kind of career we don't have to go long and hard into that you said yeah. you were a dj for 10 years a techno dj tell us kind of what your yeah. name was like what were you about like i just okay. i'm curious as a musician we don't have to go long yeah. into it but i'm very curious i'm yeah, sure Raphael yeah. probably okay. is too so my name was dj zeitgeist and oh hell yeah i I started playing in the early 90s and again there's more stories I won't go into it but another profound kind of calling situation because I definitely didn't want to but I became a DJ and I started playing um, just underground uh, techno parties that were set up as a um, kind of a resistance to the big rave mafia kind of thing that was going on in Sydney and um, uh, people dovetailing out of the punk scene, I guess. In Sydney, there was this uh, warehouse crew called the Jellyheads, and they were like these kind of alternative punks, I guess. And they'd been in Goa, India, and had come back and uh, started to tap into like this electronic music. So they explained it as selling their guitars and drums and buying drum machines. And they sort of started experimenting and playing in these warehouses with like electronic music, which was a big sort of break from the sort of thrashy guitar-based punk stuff and so they were kind of outcasts in their own punk scene and I kind of just show up at that point very keen on politics, very keen on psychedelics and very keen on movements in music. I've been so keen on music since I can remember, like really, really obsessed with it as a little kid and stuff and just following music intently since I can ever remember. And so I showed up as, a, uh, I guess, a teenager or something in the, in the city and um there was just such an amazing explosion of culture and arts going on in Sydney at that time. I was a part of a generation that just thousands of us descended upon the city when we were at that time expecting amazing underground music, I guess. And so it was just at the beginning of it and um, started putting on small parties. I was playing at parties, playing vinyl and stuff. And, yeah, I didn't think much of what I was doing. Like, I was just doing it as a community service because, you know, I just thought somebody's got to do this right. We've got to keep these parties going. The vibe was incredible. I just really loved the people. Uh, and I just sort of did it as a service. And then... Um, Not surprised, it, it just, given it, your Jupiter and North Node are in sixth house Capricorn. So you're like, let's have the best shit possible for the service of yeah. all. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, I, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was actually incredibly um original because there was no female djs and um i could i've got a zillion dj stories i won't go into it but anyway it picked up and i became like you know just i don't the know the zeitgeist very, icon or something? very popular I mean, very popular let's just aptly say named. Like, a pretty pretty rare specimen and i anyway so i was just obsessed with that of course and um yeah so i just lived that full time full power and played just so many shows. Like in my first year, I played like 66 shows. I got um, picked up by this uh, organization in um, Germany, the Goethe Institute. I was flown over to Berlin to play in 1994. I played at Edwerk there, which was this old like electricity power station of the Nazis and stuff that this punk crew had taken over and turned into this big nightclub experience sort of thing. So I was over in Germany and this is where all the amazing music was coming from. So where my name came from and I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? So I um, played all that and 
yeah, just played the biggest festivals in Australia. I don't know if you've heard of Aphex Twin, but I got to oh, yeah. play with him and travel with him repeatedly, and I loved him so much. And like, so it was just like this dream run. I just felt like that's where I started to really think, my God, if there's anything like guidance or anyone that's out there in the other in the non physical for me, I'm suddenly being gifted all this stuff. It's really amazing. Like I was on this pure run and just so much joy like this is like seriously the most amazing years of just living this life with all these amazing beings and just full-time partying and and traveling and DJing and oh it's just freaking awesome and so I was doing that up until I was in my early 30s like about 33 or something and so I think I was DJing for like 13 years or something so So what was the uh you know, what was the causal for you kind of to remove yourself from that reality uh, tunnel? Oh, oh gosh, that was like, I just like, it was an intuition again that um, I need to change. But also there was a distinct um, shift that was going on in myself that I didn't like. So it's like, um, I started like, I went from it all being just a ginormous kind of like, wow, like an amazing celebration. And I love playing with the image. Like everyone knew me as DJ Zeitgeist. So, and they called me Zeitgeist, which I thought was hilarious. And nobody really knew me, which was fine. I didn't care. I was like, I discovered my Leo rising finally. And I'd become like a glorified Leo. And I was totally rock star. And it was so much fun. Um, but then it got to a point where it was getting really weird. Like there was just so much, uh, I don't know how to, what words like the say, scene kind of took over in a sense, yeah, getting, yeah. getting all this like DJ worship and people behaving to me in ways that was very kind of, um, you know, like they really had me on a pedestal in such a major kind of way. Also, I was getting a lot of um, people approaching me to with business deals and lucrative deals and all sorts of stuff was going on. And I started feeling resentment towards um, all this adulation and I felt the creepiness of the seduction of the talk about the devil card of all these like players coming in and basically wanting to buy me and wanting to like the industry or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, The industry was moving in and it was just like, um, also a lot of my friends were starting to tell me like, Hey, it's kind of getting to the point of it sucks hanging out with you because you're constantly surrounded by all these people. And it's like, it's sort of hard to access you these days kind of thing. And like, I'm just kind of like, yeah, I'm not really actually enjoying it either. So, um, and there was, well, that's a gracious wake up call. It could have been way worse. You could have like woken up with a needle in your arm or something crazy. I was kind of expecting something hardcore. It was really weird. I was like, I, I went away to Europe to DJ. By this point, I had a record label. I was making records overseas. I was playing over there and I got word from Australia that on the, um, when it became the year 2000, which was a big deal for all these people, it was going to be the year 2000, New Year's Eve and all of that. In Australia, they have like this big fireworks thing in Sydney and it's it's broadcast across the nation so everyone can stay at home and have their parties and watch the fireworks at midnight. Hey, Kimmy, check anyway, out the fireworks. Yeah, and it's like there's like one TV network will get the lucrative deal to have the fireworks. Anyway, that TV network had, had done a documentary thing on me maybe the year before or something. Anyway, apparently they played that whole episode of me before the before the fireworks of that 2000 thing and that everybody knew who I was by that point and Scorpio died on the inside when I was overseas and I heard that. I was just like, I've had enough. This is going too far. I don't really want to get to that level of 
being known and also i mean you are a scorpio you're like where's a rock to hide under i need to yeah <laughs> this is totally too much. <laughs> and and the the thing that kept coming through the back of my head was like like because i was starting to feel resentful towards the whole thing and the whole adulation and, and fans and all of that i started feeling i started saying to myself um if i continue down this path the wheels of my spiritual carriage are going to fall off and i didn't know what that meant but it felt like because i didn't really have a spiritual life or a spiritual path i was just like something's going wrong with me and I don't like it. Like, so I started to pull myself out of the game, like, and it was sad because I really loved all of this stuff, but it, it had changed the flavor. And, um, yeah, and I always respected artists that pulled themselves out at the top of their game anyway and never went on to become really boring and stayed and all of that. So I'm like, this is my There's your Uranus conjunct Mars. You're like, I do yeah. rebellious things uh, for fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, it was weird because in, in the end, what I did was run for cover and go play some really obscure, dark, screwed up music that none of my fans would follow me into. So it's like I just I tried to stop DJing. But it's very hard to stop the momentum of that. And it took me a while, but I started putting on altogether different types of parties and a whole different paradigm, and that was lots of fun, and that went on for a few more years, and then finally... Was that uh, more like yeah, Nine Inch Nails, David Lynchian kind of vibes? I'm trying to get my head around what you went into. <laughs> uh, I, I made a sound system called System Corrupt in 2001, and um, uh, instead of like you know having DJs' names on the flyers and stuff, we all just wore... wore all black and we were just system corrupt and we were just in service all night to the party but we didn't just we didn't put on parties just to um you know hey everyone come have a good night out like we kind of socially engineered all our parties to be like pretty screwed up kind of art social engineering and art events so almost like that, chaos magician dionysian yeah, chaos magician stuff, stuff. <laughs> And we were we everyone was making this style of music called breakcore, and we were making our own homegrown version of it, which most of it was comedy, right? So most of it was hilarious. It went along with our stupid concepts for parties, and we just started something that should be very unsuccessful because it was just heading in all the opposite direction of any of the paradigm we'd be in for putting on parties and music and stuff. And it too became very popular in the underground. Your North Node is in Capricorn, girl, with Jupiter. Like you're gonna, you've got the Midas touch. Like you should never doubt that. So it's like even the shit you don't want to succeed is going to work. <laughs> it was pretty funny. We had a radio show, System Crop, that was killer. And um, was this post 9/11 or, or I mean, you said 2001. Was this no, like political this reaction? Is 2000. Or? This is 2001. So this is during the Saturn opposite um, Pluto. Um, that was going on in Gemini and Sagittarius. So, and then you get to um, 9-11 and that's the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, isn't it? Anyway, they, they, it was like the whole thing we were doing at the system corrupt time, which was like this heavy light looking at the dark end of the political spectrum of the axis of evil and George W. Bush and all of this sort of stuff. Um, oh, no, so that was, yeah, this was 2001. Sorry, correct. This is all 2001. This is all. So in a large way, it was a reaction. It, your punk was coming through in this way, in a sense. Well, the first party we did was a New Year's Eve party. of two, It was the beginning of 2001. And I'd come out of techno land, which was all pretty, you know, what techno is like. But it's it's pretty positive, you know. It's not dark and sinister and heavy and all of that. And then all of a sudden I start this new group, this new sound system, 2001. And I call the beginning of the, the year, but it's the beginning of the century. I call that party 
the real fuck begin and it seemed like a very like whoa what's that what's that name it was a new year's eve party and i'm kind of like i don't know it just came to me of like this is the this is the this is the catalytic start of this century you know what i mean so it was like and then the that year too was the real fuck begin it was a distinct shift moving out of the 90s and into the 2000s i think in terms of what was happening culturally and it kind of pulled me back into society and pulled me back into politics and um you grounded know, you in a weird abstract kind of way yeah and brought the music in with us and um i think that that what we were doing musically at that point um if we were to repeat that now people would just get it they go oh yeah right yeah because everyone's kind of awake to all this stuff going on now but still back then it was pretty like wow guys like is it that bad i was like <laughs> Yeah, the title alone oh sounds like putting a you know a cactus in your underwear or something. It's just like here it comes. Yeah, so yeah, here you kind of called folks. it. Well, we don't have to keep dwelling on the DJ stuff. I'm fascinated by that. Uh, thank you for sharing that much. Um, I, it's funny because you were kind of coming up and dealing through a major zeitgeist shift. I mean, in a real way, whether it was Terrence McKenna kind of predicting singularity in 2012 or whatever, um, that was the roots and the foment. I mean, I remember. When the I mean I'm 34 now, but when the um, ball dropped on New Year's 2000, people were looking at ATMs, wondering if Y2K bug was going to flip shit, and it, it's obviously mm. Millennium, so there was all this kind of like, uh, you know, just energy in the air. I'm pretty sure Daft Punk the year before had dropped Discovery. I don't know if you're into them much, but uh, the shift was happening. I mean, even Daft Punk, their DJs, and they're like all of a sudden like, yo, we had this accident in the fucking studio, and now we're robots. It's like transhumanism was. Gonna like internet age was starting to bleed in to a point where like hacking and programming and computer reality, the matrix dropped in '99, right? It's it was happening. I mean, that, that's a real shift. I don't know if it's an aeon shift, but at least, um, maybe now we can kind of talk about a little astrology. Uh, what do you see? How you were kind of just naming some things. Obviously, there have been big pivot points, um, yeah. And we don't have to necessarily talk about 2001. Um, and I kind of want to give the conch to you, you're the astrologer. What kind of um, major. I mean, obviously, we just had the judo, uh, judo. Listen to me, Jupiter, uh, Pluto conjunction, Saturn stuff in Capricorn, and it's funny because that happened while I was in Australia. I was in Gold Coast for three months, and it didn't feel like anything happened. I was like, oh shit, like this is a big deal, but like it felt like a rock or like a bowling ball being dropped into a pool, but like we didn't get the splash yet. And clearly, some of this uh, kind of coronavirus and Orwellian state stuff is, I think, the beginning of a splash effect. Um, but I kind of want to just let you wax poetic in any way you feel fit. Um, unless Raphael has any questions, the astrological conch is yours. I just cut out a bit. Um, yeah, so you'd like me to talk to the astrology of the time of what's happening? and Whatever's clever, yeah. It. Yeah, yeah, your experience was it didn't seem to really drop. Well, my experience was it, it, it definitely did drop. I mean, for me, I kept calling um, the Pluto-Saturn conjunction of the 12th of January for a lot of people was the 12th, um, 11th, 12th of January, 2020. I called that crunch time, and for me, it certainly was crunch time. Um, so I feel like 2019 with the Saturn and Pluto uh, coming towards the conjunction and being in lockstep together for most of 2019. I feel that 2019 and 2020 are like partner years, like they go together. And it's very interesting, this devil card, because you're um, talking about today's show being looking at the devil and I'm only just sort of coming around to, I only bought my first tarot deck like a couple of months ago, like not even. You're cool. 
less than two months ago and I've been quite obsessed with this devil card of course because it's just been it's been what's in play for um, 2019 well just a quick aside the devil card is this in I mean I don't know how much you know about it and I'm not like an expert by any means but the um in the rider weight symbology I don't know what kind of deck you got there's so many out there that you could get any number of things um, I yeah. think you'd actually really enjoy the David Bowie Starman Tarot deck for the record. Check it out. Yeah. I'll send you some links. Um, but the idea here being that the Devil card is this uh, inversion, essentially energetically, of the Lovers card, which is Gemini. So it's like the Lovers has you know the man and the woman kind of looking up at an angel. There's the Tree of Life and all this kind of beautiful stuff. Tree of Knowledge of Good and Evil, whatever. All this kind of ballistic stuff um, going on, and it's good. It's like oh wow, look, we're lovers. We're having fun. We're tantric. However you want to look at that. And then this eventually turns into something where it's like I'm addicted to my spouse and I have codependence and it's not what it, like the dream is deferred in some weird like you know in some weird way like tainted to the uh and the angels turned into this Baphomet kind of character with chains attached to the people so it's like that which has been good in the summer and the high fruit of you know the 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 highness of the lovers card is turned into this weird kind of dark moment of like oh shit attachment delusion control all that jazz uh very capricornic yeah. energy that's beautiful. That's so perfect for how I understand 2019 as well. Like I spoke to, um, you know, through my videos and stuff the last few months of 2019, I was saying to people, it should be, you should know by now um, what this sort of, I was talking about like a, uh, a hologram of reality that people have been playing into that was coming into completely collapse. And for most people, they would understand it through the trajectory of a relationship issue that would have probably been playing out throughout 2019 that sounds very much like your description of the devil card there like the inverted lovers card and also uh and for me crunch time was the collapse of that trajectory of that hologram so people would have gone through some uh like yeah a bit of a shocking shocking wake-up calls going on all throughout 2019 but really seeing the whole illusion just smash but i can also see like from the micro level like people having a personal experience of this in terms of uh relationships in their life but also on the macro level the way people uh fall in love with the narcissist tyrants and things like that like we see playing out in america and other countries like australia and other and england and many countries have got this um version of this going on uh so yeah just interesting looking at that and i've been telling people like you know if you were aware of this and suffering through it in 2019 and been doing the work and looking at all these shadow things especially around these um unresolved attachment traumas from childhood and how they play out in adult relationship patterning and how they're playing out in the macro culture as well or if you're like me um, journeying on and off in and out of spiritual communities and yoga communities you'll see all these cults that are playing out on the mini version so there's all sorts of places to see these dynamics playing out and uh, issues around power and with Capricorn power and rank issues all over the place and um, really understanding these uh, old, old, old systems of these hierarchical, patriarchal structures and, um, yeah. Where the South dynamics. Node has been, we should say, the Capricorn South Node. So it's like we're kind of going through yeah. the, the worst karma of all the institutions, all the patriarchy, all the kind of masculine toxicity in a way, which is something I yeah. found that you were always talking about 
that most, I mean, other astrologers were, but I felt you were tapping into a level that was speaking from a feminine, it's almost like Athena or something. Where I was like, oh shit, this yes. chick is like tapped in and she's like pushing, she's goading us to action. She's not just like saying it. She's like, call, it's a call to arms in a sense. Woohoo! Amazing. Because Athena's only just sort of dropped in on me in the last few weeks. So I like how you. Oh, Athena's bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's conjunct my Venus, a Pallas Athena anyway, the asteroid. So um, uh, in 2020, uh, we have the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction coming in now in Capricorn, and I see Capricorn as a sign as the devil, right, in the tarot card, the um, devil. So um, two things to say about this. Number one is I, I did go back through my uh, astrology program looking for the last time in history the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction happened as a triple, triple, like triple pass. Like, so we're going to have an exact Jupiter-Pluto conjunction three times this year. I couldn't find if, as though one last, wasn't enough, right? It's like smack, smack, I couldn't smack. find, I couldn't find anywhere in the last two thousand years that that had happened. And then one of my uh, clients and a guy that's been watching my videos for years, he got back to me and he said he went through and he found it. I don't know thousands of years ago or something. So I haven't heard any other astrologers speak about this. So I don't follow too many other astrologers because I don't have time, but I would love to. Um, but yeah, I haven't heard anybody mention this. So this Jupiter-Pluto conjunction that's happening three times in 2020, as far as I know, hasn't happened in over 2,000 years. So it's freaking huge. And it's right at the end of days in terms of late stage capitalism. And we've got the South Node in Capricorn, which is a very karmic kind of collective karma around all this Capricornian stuff and this whole devil card, and everything's kind of being revealed at this point. So um, I was saying for people on a personal level, if you really were aware of all this stuff playing out last year and you've witnessed with your eyes wide open uh, the collapse of the forms in early January, then really if you, that w that's the type of thing that should be bringing you well and truly into your power by now. So you'll be able to ride out 2020 and all the stimulus it provides as an experience to, um, you know, it's like authentic sovereignty or something. Empowerment, yeah, authentic and sovereignty. It's like it's a it's a really rich experience. This 2020 thing, if you did your 2019 properly, but for those that didn't, that were still riding out all the old um, patriarchal, you know, like whatever King of the Heat games or whatever. Um, 2020 is going to bite them in the butt really hard, you know, and I can see like Jupiter is going to amplify all the Pluto unconscious shadowy elements. So we're going to see everything writ large. So there's going to be some like in terms of tarot, major tower moments going on for people all over the place as a, um, you know, as we could see the whole, the whole realm of all the conditioning, particularly of the male conditioning collapsing and the old um, institute. Or toxic society, male conditioning, we should say. Right, because yeah, I think divine mask is cool, but like uh, sometimes I feel like with and I'm not I've never thought you've done this, but the the risk I guess can be that let's like let's castrate everybody, and it's like ah like we still have value, don't kill us. Like I'm sorry we fucked it up. Yeah, yeah. I think what I, it's good to it's good to clarify when I talk about the male conditioning, just the basic stuff around you know self worth being based on you know, how much money you can earn and how successful you are in the world and all of that sort of stuff. And I find it's right across a lot of cultures, all of this thing. Um, so don't see it as like a necessarily a bad thing, except that it's unconscious because it's um, it's programmed in the way guys are uh, conditioned from a young age to steer clear of their emotional reality. 
and focus more onto realization on the world channel, things like that. So that's that's what I'm referring to when I'm sort of pointing at the male conditioning. And then and then when I go into detail around how patriarchal structures work in terms of some pretty dark stuff, because I'm focusing on all the dark side of this stuff with the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction, because Pluto is the dark side, and Jupiter religions and, you know, just various institutes of society and as you'll see in my my birth chart i have those three planets in the third house i have the sun in scorpio i also have the um, very kind of anarchic <laughs> mars uranus conjunction there in the third house i'm not sure if you're aware that the third house being opposite the ninth like the ninth house is all about um you know the bishops and the religions and all the upper echelons of the churches and all of that so the third house being it's like institutionalized that, gurus. Yeah. So the third house opposite that is the house of the heretic. So, um, so that makes total sense now. I never thought about that. It makes total sense, Mister Gemini. Yes, that it's like the house of the heretic. So um, there's is there's obviously a lot of uh, energy in that house for me to call out a lot of the religious stuff and religious systems and the patriarchal structures within religious systems. So I'm just like um, and you should. It. Calling uh, it's out in all your this nature. Stuff. Yeah. Oh my God! Look, they took astrology away from me. I'm Scorpio. Do you think I'm going to forget this? <laughs> no. Hell hath no fury like a Scorpio who's astrologer. <laughs> um, so it's funny because Raphael had pointed out something um, before with the uh, coronavirus. Okay, so Corona is the crown, right? Um, and I'm not sure about your presuppositions yeah. in terms of like the validity or not. Like, I don't know if you're going David Ike on this or if you're listening to. A, CDC stuff. I, I mean, everybody's kind of on a spectrum here, it seems. Um, but the idea here being <laughs> in the tower thing. card, uh, there's people getting shocked out of their tower. Um, obviously, like that's the kingdom being zapped by you know the yeah. higher octave of Mercury, Uranus. It's like yeah. chaos is coming, but the crowns are on their head and they're falling from. You know, there's a lot of levels here where it's like we're gonna have to humble ourselves in some way that we haven't. Like I don't know how into culture you are, so if I allude to things like Snowpiercer, I don't know if you've seen that movie or. Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life or anything like that. The toxic kind of masculine energy you're talking about is very well represented by Brad Pitt in uh, The Tree of Life, which is kind of a Kabbalistic movie in a sense. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's very opiatic and beautiful. I think you dig it. Uh, very surreal mm -hmm. in a sense. Um, but what uh, – I just lost my train of thought totally. Um, tower card, yeah, it's happening. I mean that's where we're at. But in a sense, like you're saying, the work has been if, – if one has been doing the work, um, the blow is a little less severe and maybe we see um, – how to exit the highway of failure here on a, a, you know the exit ramp of like um con confedera confederational kind of feminine uh utopian like micro level kind of grassroots making it work we can't just rely on babylonian tit to suck on forever it's just not going to work like that anymore yeah i mean i don't know if you watched my um the video i just put out the new moon in taurus like the sort of second half of it I, um, I get into quite an interesting rant on all of this sort of stuff that comes through. But for me, it's more like um, just just Capricornian concepts of, you know, like, uh, you know, Capricorns typically are facing off with this whole neurosis around fear and insecurity. And, um, and there's this, uh, yeah, constant self-doubt and need to 
prove themselves in the world somehow, build all these things in the world. And it's like it's coming to that point like over 2019 and 2020, we can see that um, so much of the world is made out of the fear matrix, right? And so much in our own personal lives, if we really look into it, a lot of the things that we're motivated by are very Capricornian, our conditioning, our conditioned programming and our inherent fears our sense of lack and i'm not good enough and all of that sort of stuff so if we continue to create and make and manifest from that place we just keep um playing out this dynamic or these energetics of fear and most of the world is like full of it and then people that are scared tend to be very controlling or they give away their power to very controlling forces so it's like this has been going on for a long time so it's a big wake-up call for humanity as as the tower crumbles as babylon as babylon falls or the roman empire falls or whatever's going on it's time for people to reassess where do i draw my sense of security from and um look to, look inwards to develop that sense of security and this is a much deeper spiritual question in terms of like overcoming this illusion of separation and starting to align at the level of source awareness source consciousness and realize this infinite power that we all are and can be and to start to move from that and so start to align with the ground of our being the true ground of being which is inherently inner and divine and start to move into the world spontaneously and organically from that place and so it's 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 huge to get conscious of this stuff and stop playing into these illusory self-images and and games we play and edifices we invest in because most of it's just a house of cards it's built on all this madness of fear and being dislocated in these systems of separation when we could actually just be spending more time getting connected and uh, come back to that humility that's possible there in terms of that Capricornian journey and start to, you know, just be and to make from there. So things need to crumble, things need to fall so we can realign with our true self and our uh, inherently where true power lies, which is within. So I think this is a big part of the shift. As we come into the 21st century, obviously, there's a massive, like, drama that's waiting to unfold in terms of crises that are on the way. And this this one, to me, is just so minor. As far as, you know, wealthy Westerners go, it's so ridiculously minor. It's, it's a joke. But people are already showing signs that they aren't still enough or well enough within themselves to handle a little bit of chaos. So, you know, if I could go... Or at the very least, inconvenience... <laughs> Yeah, I know. I mean, like, I've got people in my neighborhood who are suddenly overnight human rights activists because they can't go to the beach. It's just like, come on, guys, like, check out the poverty statistics, check out what's going on in, you know, with the Uyghurs in China or something, you know, it's just, it's it's kind of ridiculous, I find, on that level, seeing a lot of people's responses. But um, it definitely is, like, a blessing on a lot of levels, I think, this whole COVID situation. But uh, I think what's most important for the coming century is that we resource ourselves from the inside out so that we are steady, calm, stable in the face of crisis and we actually learn where true power comes from and that we can create our own reality. We can manifest into being that which we perceive, you know, and to start dislocating the ego and start to allow more and more of life to move through us in a way that will reveal itself and heal itself and show us the way 
I don't know whether there's enough prophets on the ground and in the skyways who are able to meet enough people to get this shift full power, but we've also got the grace of the universe kicking in now and Mother Nature kicking in now to forcibly shift us in ways, thank God. But, yeah, so I, I'm totally into guiding people to empowerment with this Jupiter-Pluto conjunction in Capricorn and finding where empower truly lives lives you know and um moving with that and steadying ourselves for what's coming and and we know from our previous conversation that um we are we are we are creating this reality like things aren't what they seem like uh at all i don't know where to, how to how to describe it right oh now, i know Raphael's but... way on your wave he's into bashar and some other things uh this i don't know if Raphael wants to speak on this on his own behalf i'm kind of speaking for him I was just about to say um, nothing to add. (laughs) So yeah, of course, right on. That's that's what it is. Here we go. And the other thought was, well, not that it's about sides really, because all is one. But if we were to differentiate it out in terms of positive and negative polarization, well, we got uh, Kuan Yin and her dragons, and we even got Krishna on our side. So I mean, like, (laughs) there is simply no contest, you know, if there ever was one. Oh, I love it. I love it. You see, that was the other thing I was going to call in. It's like the other end of this spectrum is the North Node in Cancer, which is coming to its final days, and that is the Great Compassion Rising. That's what I've been calling it. And, yeah, this is Kuan Yin and riding on the dragons at this end. It's like this is where it's all been pointing to, but we've had so many um, heavyweight planets around the Capricorn end. It's all eyes on the Capricorn end, but behind it all is this – power this beautiful power rising we've also had all these glorious like you know neptune sextile jupiter going on throughout all of 2019 there's constantly been this other you know angelic symphony playing in the background going hello (laughs) like it's pretty beautiful out here in the high waves like um so yeah i mean i'm 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 like so committed to stay attuned to the most purest and beautiful frequency every moment of every day and um and i'm i'm uncompromising and all of that and at the same time i dive in deep like a mosh pit on all the drama going on in duality and just hang just play in at full power until it starts to get on the nose and then i pull myself out and restore myself to you know these other more you know exquisite rays of being <laughs> you know and just keep like um ebb and flowing between the, the the chaos and the drama and then back into the serenity and the yeah the calm surrender and the witnessing of all the magnificence of it all so i feel very secure in all of this so i i, I hope i can share with other people that this is really what where we're all being asked to move to in our own being is this inner state of security and well-being and and from there um, things really can shift well said and i have to say i think you're one of the first people because i'm coming from a very you know strong judeo-christian background but essentially and when i was waking up and doing all this acid on facebook watching you doing your stuff at some point clearly <laughs> i think this is what i was picking up on where it's like oh shit she's seen through the game and i she's on the other side but then she's coming back in and talking on its terms which i really appreciated so it's like i mean at this point it's about unity consciousness or however you know, monism however one wants to put this but it's like you were one of the first voices i think i ever heard because this is before i met rafael who's since then you know sent me all sorts of kind of uh documents or whatever to kind of get on that wave but 
I hadn't been turned on to that. Like, that's just not something I was privileged to in a weird way or, or not privileged to in my cultural kind of gridding. So I do thank you for that because in some weird way, um, you have embodied Kuan Yin. You have kind of reached back into the fray uh, of the garbage disposal to pick out the food that you dropped in or whatever. It, was, <laughs> it, it seems like, you know, even at the at cost of your own sanity, you've been willing to kind of, not that you've lost your mind, but it's like, it's not fun to re-enter the matrix, like in a sense, like Neo is like, I guess I'll go back in there and battle Smiths. And it's like, I could tell that you've got that kind of going on. Um, like what you were just alluding to, it's like, I'm high vibe, I'm doing my awesome shit. And then I choose to put on my gloves and go in and like hack it out. And then you, you kind of have to do this thing. I don't know how you feel about Yugas or the hundredth monkey effect, but it seems like for better or worse, I mean, we had Gemini Brett on the other day and he was going off into the astrology of whether it was, you know, uh, Celtic or Mayan or all these kind of cultures where it's like the hand of the high man is like happening. Like this is like, it's getting into basically like Christological return as like vibes. Basically let's put it that way. He's not a Christian. So it's like, I think we're, we're in for a treat. But that doesn't mean like the darkness, like once it gets lighter, like the darkness becomes more apparent and like the shadows become starker. So it's a weird moment where I think it, it's actually going according to plan, if we want to put it that way. But it's like the last minute of a clogged toilet is really kind of a moment where it's like, is this going to overflow? Is this gonna, like, am I going to get covered in shit? It's like, nah, it's not going to flush. But like, I guess we've decided we preferred <laughs> some game where the stakes are so fucking high that we just don't know if it's going to work out or not. Um, I know, I think love wins. I, I mean, I'm, I still have the presupposition we're held by through and for love and some kind of Judeo Christian kind of Tao or something. I'm not sure how it all works, but, um, I don't know. I don't know if uh, it's, we've been talking for two hours. I don't want to take up your whole morning. Um, it might be a good place to stop. I definitely want to have you come back on if you're keen to do so and, you know, suss out other kind of things astrologically. We didn't really get into astrology per se. I, I was actually very pleased with where this went. We got a kind of a picture of who Curly is um, beyond just kind of like, you know, rote kind of astrology, which is, is your forte but I, I really did the, kind of like the behind the scenes here uh, it got me a better picture of um the strong person that i've been watching on the internet for so long so thank you for coming on um i don't know if rafael has any questions or if you had anything you wanted to say um in kind of closing here no got nothing to add i just like to thank you it was very fun to listen to your uh, explorations and your journey and uh, yeah awesome and yeah well <laughs> There's really nothing much more to say. All I was thinking about earlier and some of the things you described was along the lines of, well, uh, listen, guys and girls, also in terms of your traveling, like that's how you do it, you know. That's how you test the limits of your own consciousness, which is non-existent, by actually throwing <laughs> yourself into synchronicity. And, uh, mm. and it, of course it works. That's kind of what I was explaining like to, tonight already in another episode. <laughs> is uh, and and thank you you know basically for recounting the story which is kind of validating what i was just proposing earlier that you know when you when you live in synchronicity when you act on your excitement everything always aligns and you can do the most unlikely things and you can even <laughs> imagine yourself a multi-pass and then be able to do anything no one yeah, else yeah. thought you can and that's just how it is but to really know it one thing is is a theory and the feeling and the internal knowing and the other thing is then to really play it out in this life. And that's yeah, great. Theory versus practice. Then you know. Yeah, exactly. it's so beautiful. Uh, it's so funny have, because... Have, oh, go ahead. Go yeah. ahead. I was just going to say, like, one, like, just picking up on something you said before, Jim. I mean, 
one of the power challenges, which is like a initiation, if anyone's up for it at this point, is to take the initiation out of fear and into love. So to look at their life and examine their motives around thing and see if it's coming from lack consciousness and, um, yeah, start to examine that more consciously and then start to shift their mind in the direction of what if I, what if I came from love? What if everything I did came from love instead of fear? What might that look like? And challenge themselves into those spaces like you were talking about to, to live that life. So it sounds super cheesy, but that's pretty much a powerful transition I think a lot of people could be facing right now if they're doing their deep listening. Right on. I mean, your team rabbit hole is fuck. I've always known it. I'm glad we got you on here. Um, I want you to know that you have my full support emotionally, psychically, whatever. Like, you're on the front line. You're gang gang. I don't even know how to say it. Like, you're an inspiration um, to an ENFP. I'm the inspirer. So it takes a lot to get me, in, you know, going. But, like, you're dope. Um, I hope people reach out to you. Um, I, it, just if anybody wants to get in contact with you, we'll, we'll tack on um, your links and stuff like that. But if there's any kind of plug or anything you're doing right now, if you wanted to say that, feel free. Um, my last kind of two cents are everybody, Bill Hicks kind of sense, enjoy the ride. This is a crazy trip. She's showing you you can push the limit and you won't, it's not going to snap. It's not going to break. Like, yeah. grace abounds. It holds you. Like, you are yes. it. So, like, enjoy the yes. fucking ride. Yes, totally. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> Nice one. Awesome. Yeah, well, I guess to close off with laughter is the very best thing to do anyhow. So uh, thank you again, uh, Kuruli. Thank you, Jim. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Heed the examples, if you will, if you wish. Make up your own minds. And as always, enjoy yourselves. Radio.